Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for the assurance that we have in Christ Jesus, for the love that has been shown unto us in bringing us together during this week of camp. And what a blessing it's been already, Lord, in this second day of fellowship, the second day of praise, the second day of Bible study, of worship, and also of hearing the message that you would have for us in these evening hours. We are thankful, Lord, for all that you have done for us, for bringing us together, for the ability to concentrate on those things that would strengthen us in our faith. And it is in this faith that we come before you tonight, Lord. We are a varied audience. We come from different backgrounds. We do not know, Lord, which ones are going through the water at this time, which ones are trudging through the floods, which ones are going through the fire. Yet we do know that all of those who call upon your name are brought before Christ and before God through the blood of our Savior. And so it is in this faith tonight that we pray and ask your blessing upon our being together, and may your servant provide what is needed in this evening hour. In Jesus' name we pray and ask it. Amen. Would like us to turn to the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, starting at verse 57. I like the book of Luke because his narratives are great. He records a great deal of history, some of which is not in the other Gospels. And so we often get more expanded stories in this book than in some of the other Gospels. So let's read chapter 9, starting at verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, Suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. There are probably few words in the Gospels that are more important than what Jesus told these men. And what these men told Jesus that they would do. If you search the scriptures, you will find that Jesus numerous times says to those who were with him, follow me. Follow me. I suspect that most people of that day 
As people today, and as many of us are, we are followers. We don't want to be in charge to be responsible for what goes on, or to have to lead, or to put ourselves in positions where we would be subject to criticism, making public mistakes, making the wrong decisions, or just not wanting to be in a place of attention. We know that Jesus didn't particularly like the role of being a leader in the traditional sense. He did not come to set up a kingdom on this world, in this world. He did not come to set up a new political structure. He came to bring men and women the good news, the good news of the gospel, and to let them know that the kingdom of God, that the Messiah that they had waited years for, centuries for, millennia for, had arrived on this earth. And Jesus told many people that he met along the way, follow me. We would be hesitant in the role of a minister or an elder or a leader in the church to say what Jesus said, follow me. Yeah, there would be sometimes I think following me would be okay. You wouldn't get into any trouble. And I wouldn't lead you astray or anything like that. But there are some times in my weaker moments that I would just as soon be alone with the Lord to deal with situations. And I'm sure the same is true of you too. In the scripture that we have for tonight, As they were going, Jesus and his disciples, a man comes into him and says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. I call this man Mr. Eager. He says, Lord, I'm with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to be there. Isn't that a wonderful thing? To say, Lord, wherever you go, I am going to go there with you. I will follow you whithersoever you go. We're not told who it was. Uh, We're led to believe that it was not one of the disciples, not one of the twelve that Jesus had chosen. And Jesus responds to him in a way that's almost surprising. He doesn't tell him, oh, this is a wonderful thing. I am glad you're going to be my follower. What a great thing for you to do to become a part of this small band of believers. Jesus lets him know that following him is not going to be an easy task. And he, in his way of speaking, says, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to put his head. He tells Mr. Eager, do you realize that if you follow me, you will not know where you're going to sleep tonight? You will not know where the path is going to take you. And even as he told others and gave examples of counting the cost, Mr. Eager is kind of like that seed that fell on the rocks, and immediately it sprung forth, but when the sun came up, it withered because it had no root. 
and there was no place for the root to go. There was no fertile ground. He wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus warned him. Jesus told him in a nice way, using examples that he could understand, that following me will take you places into things that you don't even know where you're going to go. In the next verse, verse 59, And he, Jesus, said unto another, Follow me. In this situation now, a little further down the road, Jesus sees somebody and taps him and says, Follow me. Most of us don't have the privilege of having that kind of a calling. We know that God selects those who are of faith. We know that behind every person who comes to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, God is aware of their hearts. And you would think that Jesus would have picked somebody who, like Matthew, when he was tapped at the tax collector's seat, he got up and immediately walked away from his job and followed Jesus. But that didn't happen with this man. This man, who I will call Mr. Called, had an excuse. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Let me take care of my family obligations before I follow you. And then I'll gladly come. Jesus responds and says, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. I have tapped you for a special responsibility. Go and do it. And the man says, Suffer me first. Please allow me first to go and to bury my father. And we're not told whether this man's father had just died. It is customary to even to interpret this as once my father is dead and gone, which could be years from now, then I will follow you. But until that time, in order for me to in- get my inheritance and so on, I've got to take care of and be with my father. And Mr. Called missed his opportunity to follow Jesus. Despite the fact that he was tapped for that responsibility and he was told to go and to preach the kingdom of God. He missed his opportunity with Jesus. We don't know who these people are. We don't know if this man, after he walked away, could have kicked himself what later came about. I have a feeling that when the crucifixion time came and the way the events were going, he probably said to himself, I'm glad I didn't follow that man. Because look where it would have taken me. Look where it took the other disciples. It took them to the cross. And it took them to places they didn't want 
to go. They didn't know where it was going to go. Even Peter, as he promised that he would not deny the Lord, we know it was only a few short hours, and he did so. The third person we have in this lesson tonight, another said unto him, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go bid them farewell, which are at my home. I call him Mr. Putoff. I'll follow you, Lord, but after I say goodbye to the visitors at my place, I will come and follow. Just let me take care of this issue, and I will gladly come after you. And again, Jesus with a saying that is appropriate for the situation, says, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, then you jump into the kingdom of God and you follow Jesus and you go for broke. You don't keep one foot in the kingdom of God and the other foot in the world and try to balance and to juggle both. Jesus says, I want you to be committed. You're either going to follow me, or you're not going to follow me. And in two of the three examples we have in this scripture, Jesus was not followed. And I wonder what the ratio is tonight here. Is it two out of three of the unconverted who are unwilling to follow Jesus, who are unwilling to respond to the call. Some are going to put off and postpone, delay, procrastinate, or I'll do it, Lord, just as soon as this is taken care of. When I graduate from high school, when I finish college, after I find a job, once I get the car I've always wanted, once I marry And where does it stop? I know a man who's 10 years my senior, just about 10 years, near retirement age. Knew from the time he was a little child, and there aren't any really little ones in here, he knew the way of salvation. And to this day, this man has not committed his life unto the Lord. And I had the opportunity to talk to him during a time when I thought the situation was ripe, his sister had died of cancer, perhaps a few years older than him, but nevertheless close enough to home to understand that you can't keep putting off. You can't continue to delay the decision that needs to be made for Christ Jesus. Follow me, Jesus is saying. And I believe that when Jesus talks about following me in Scripture, he is not just saying, believe and everything is going to be fine. Just believe and it will all fall into place. I believe that Jesus wants us to be committed and he wants us to give everything 
He says in that 62nd verse, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You go forward. The farmer who plows, he looks forward where he's going, not where he has been. Not what could have been, but what lies ahead. And that's the way it has to be for us as Christians. Jesus still wants disciples today. Jesus wants followers. In fact, the Greek word for disciple and follower are essentially the same word. He wants followers. And I wonder how many people in the world today, in our United States or in North America, let's put it more broadly to cover all of our, most of our audience here, how many people are really followers of Jesus as opposed to believers of Jesus. I think the majority of this country believes in Jesus. They believe that he's the Son of God. They believe that he's the Messiah. They believe that he has shed his blood for their sins. And that's all well and good. That is a start. But what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What was Jesus asking these men to do that required more than what at least two of the three were willing to give? For one thing, we know that he expected them to love him and to be dedicated to him above all else. If we turn to the 14th chapter of Luke... In verse 26, if a man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We have to be willing to forsake everything to be a follower of Jesus, not a believer in Jesus. That can be done just with the head. You can just believe by saying, I believe. You can know all about salvation, and you can know the way of truth. But to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be all that Jesus wants you to be for His kingdom, if we are not willing, and He uses strong language there, hating Father, mother, now Jesus doesn't really expect somebody to hate their parents. But I am sure in this audience tonight there are some of you who have had to leave father, mother, brother, sister in order to be a part of the kingdom of God. We have people in our church who are converted Roman Catholic backgrounds who had very difficult situations of Not coming to the Lord. They came to the Lord, but they had to deal with their families. And they literally had to leave what they had been taught as a child at the feet of their dear loving mother and go in a different direction. Not because the Apostolic Christian Church of Norton said, this is what you have to do, but because the Scripture says, unless you are willing to do that, You cannot be my disciple. Let's turn to Matthew 16 and verse 24. 
another example of what it means to follow Jesus. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Three important issues that a person has to deal with to be a disciple of Jesus. If any man will come after me, if any will follow First of all, it says he has to deny himself. That's probably the hardest thing to do. It is something that is still hard for us as Christians. It is still hard for me to deny myself. What I want, what I like, what I think is best, what I think others should do, what I think God should do through me how far I'm willing to go to be a disciple. Not a believer. I'll believe. And so will you. But will you commit? And will you turn that belief into following, into discipleship, denying yourself? There's a popular book out Today, the very first sentence in this New York Times bestseller, the very first sentence says, It's not about you. And if that doesn't hit a person between the eyes in our self centered culture, I don't think anything else would. It is not about me, and it is not about you. It is all about Jesus and serving Him, and doing what He wants, and yielding yourself to His ways. What's this business about taking up the cross? I thought Jesus died on the cross. Now He's saying, take up your cross and follow Me? What's My cross? I think My cross is whatever burdens, baggage, Background, family issues, abuse, hurt, anguish, whatever has happened in my life. And I need to bring that to Jesus. And daily, I need to wake up and be willing to bear that cross. We know that Jesus carried his own cross, did he not? In fact, wasn't it not a custom that those who were being crucified were to carry their cross to the place of crucifixion? It was a way of weakening them. And we know that Jesus got help because he had been beaten and tortured so badly that he stumbled under the weight of his cross. And brought it all on himself. Your sin and my sin. And the sins of the world. And the sins of the world past. And the sins of the world present. And the sins of the world future. Would that be enough to wear anybody down? I think so. But he carried his own cross. And you and I are told we need to carry our cross. But Lord, it's too heavy. It's too much for me. No, it's not. It is not. 
Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. I will not give you more on that cross than what you, with my help, can bear. Choose the cross. But Lord, if my cross was only like so-and-so's, it'd be a cinch. Well, if you walked in so-and-so's shoes, you'd find it isn't any easier. In fact, when you look at other people, and the Scripture says we're not to compare ourselves one with another, we compare ourselves to our Lord Jesus, not to each other. But when we look and we see other people's burdens, many of us conclude, I'd just as soon have my own problems than someone else's. We need to be willing to bear our cross, to bear whatever burdens those might be, and to bring them to Jesus. What does Jesus say even when he talks about bearing his cross? He talks about his yoke being easy and his burden light. He makes it easier for us, even though we have to bear our own cross. We cannot give that to somebody else. We cannot blame somebody else for it. Oh, we can blame them, but it's not going to change anything. We can say, if I had only grown up differently, if only my parents had treated me such and such, if only my wife or my husband did this or that or the other thing. No. It comes right down to your relationship with Jesus. And you're accepting or rejecting. You're saying, I will be a follower or I will not follow Jesus. Oh, I'll believe. I'll believe all the way. This man who's 10 years my senior, he knows the right way. He knows what has to be done. It's just that things, you got to get things straight in life first, right? You got to put everything neatly together. But the problem is, <laughs> life never goes neatly together. It never goes that way. Well, for some people, it all seems to fall in place, and maybe it does. But you don't see them just rushing to give their lives to the Lord. It's an excuse. It's a way of avoiding the issue. And it's putting off and putting off. Maybe called. Maybe willing and know what has to be done. And yet not doing it. Choose the cross, Jesus says. Well, let's assume for the moment that that's done. Then what do we do? Where do we go from there? Is life as a Christian then at its peak and at its high point when we make that decision, when we're baptized and when we become members of the church? I've always appreciated our fellowships in the sense that we really want committed believers in our church. There isn't much of a place in our fellowships for people who are... Mm, Sometimes I'm here, and sometimes I'm over here, and sometimes I'm willing to commit, and other times I'm not. And if there's something going on over at this church or that place down the street, we've never really encouraged that type of faith. We believe in Jesus when he said, follow me. And we believe in the issue that we have a faith that is very precious 
And we recognize that a great price was paid for this, and more is expected than just for us to believe. Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. Jesus paid for the salvation, and he gave us all we need to have our sins forgiven, our souls saved, and a path set for us to heaven. He paid the price, and that's easy for us. The hard part is the discipleship. Because every day that I wake up, I have to decide, shall I deny myself? Every day that I wake up, I have to decide, shall I pick up my cross and drag it with me yet another day? And I have to decide whether or not I am going to live and follow the example of Jesus. John 8.31 says that we need to continue in the Word. That we as Christians, once we are followers of Jesus and babes in Christ, we need to grow. We are not what we are expected to become. There isn't a baby here at camp whose parents would be happy to have that child stay the way they are from now until 20 years later. There isn't a parent here who would wish that upon their child. In fact, we would think that's a horrible thought. When my children were little, I always expected that they would grow up, trusted that the Lord would provide did what I could to provide for them, believing that God would indeed take this babe, this helpless infant who is dependent upon its mother and father's and society's care, the church's care, grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and be something more than what it was as an infant. Not that there's anything wrong with being an infant. You've got to start someplace. But the idea is that that infant is expected to grow. He or she is to develop. And the parents have a role in that. And the church has a role in that. And I believe the same is true for us in our spiritual life. It's a beautiful reason for coming to camp. And I'm very thankful that for many years I've had the opportunity to come. Because it's great setting aside everything else and getting into the Word and lessons that have been prepared, and hearing the word preached, and the gospel going forth yet another time, and yet another time again, and if the Lord wills, another time yet beyond that. As long as there are people who need to know the Lord, the word has to go forth. We are expected to pray as a part of this growth. We know that the apostles in that early church in Acts were not fit for waiting tables, and they wanted to give themselves over to prayer. And that is something that we as a church and as individuals need to spend time doing prayer. Prayer, prayer. Prayer to be able to bear that cross. Prayer to be able to deny those, uh, uh, the self. 
prayer for others, to intercede for them, to ask on behalf of other individuals that God's mercy would be shown unto them. We know that Jesus had some beautiful prayers. Many of them, in fact, of all the Gospels, most of them are recorded in Luke in comparison to any of the other Gospels. Beautiful prayers that Jesus prayed for his disciples. He taught them how to pray. And you all know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven. We're told in Philippians that we should make our requests known unto God and that God would supply and God will provide. God will give us what is necessary. Jesus tells us that if we follow him, we will walk in the light and not in darkness. That's in John 8, verse 12. Following Jesus, walking in the light. And when you walk in the light, you don't stumble, you don't trip, You know the truth, and the truth makes you free. And the truth, of course, is the knowledge that Jesus died for your sins and for my sins and gave of himself on the cross. What about bearing fruit? How much fruit does an infant bear? Well, they bring their parents some joy. There's no doubt about that. But it's not purposefully done. It's probably reflexive and so on at the earliest of ages. But a Christian is expected to bear fruit. Jesus prayed for his disciples. John 15, 8. Jesus said he wanted them to bear much fruit. And I ask you, my Christian, my brother and sister in Christ, what fruit do we bear What have we done? Not for our salvation. No, not for our salvation. That's been paid for. That has been given. That has been taken care of by the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. But what do we do in response as a thankful gesture, in appreciation for it, in furthering the kingdom of God in the world around us? What do we do? How do we go about it? In uh, Norton, within the last couple of years, we decided to do something about this. Many of us felt that there was more to growth as Christians than just listening to a sermon Sunday morning, listening to a sermon Sunday afternoon, faithfully attending services. We formed discipleship groups. Voluntary. Those who want to do it are welcome to do it. And I don't know exactly what the count is. We have three or four, maybe five groups anywhere from probably four or five to a half a dozen or eight in those groups. And Brother Roger behind me is one of the brothers who is leading a group. Um, I happen to be, (laughs) in our group, the oldest. And then there's Brother Roger with his family, two single brothers. 
and then we have a man from a Catholic background who's willing to come. He and his wife come to church, and we discuss the word. And we pray. And we get to know each other on an intimate basis. Every one of them is an engineer. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> and so I come at things from a somewhat different angle than they often do. And the single brothers are dealing with issues that are different than me, whose children are basically grown and been in the faith many years in comparison to some of them. And then we have this young man whose family comes to church, but he doesn't know the ways of the Lord. Oh, he can find the book of Matthew, and he knows where Genesis is, and mm, I don't know if he knows where Habakkuk is or not, but we have an opportunity to get to know one another in ways that go beyond what we do Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon and Sunday night. We can fellowship one with another. We can pray with one another. We can share those things that are bothering us in regard to our work, our family, whatever the situation may be, and know that we have a loving group who wants to support each other confidentially, from the heart, to get to know each other, to help us deal with problems. And I feel a special relationship with these brothers. We rarely meet unless everyone can make it. And with working schedules, it's difficult to do sometimes. But I'll tell you, it's a beautiful experience. It's a wonderful thing to get in fellowship like that. Yes, we all have things to do. Yes, we all have families. Yes, time is at a premium. But you know, for the things that are important and what is necessary for our growth as Christians and for some outreach for those who do not know the Lord, it's been a very loving experience. And it's something that I have appreciated and basically never experienced before in our church. Discipleship. Being a follower of Jesus Christ. Not just a believer, not just an attender, not just somebody who comes to the assembly and meets, but somebody, each one, who is willing to give something of themselves for the benefit of the others. That our growth would be somewhat guided not that that newborn Christian who is baptized and can answer all of the questions and can say the right things and speak the right language and go the right places and do the right things, but that Christian now as a babe in Christ can gain some nurturing and can be shown ways of how to deal with various kinds of situations, whether they happen at work, whether they happen uh, in the home, wherever those things take place. For we know that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us everything that we need to succeed in our Christian life. And I'm not talking about succeed in the sense of success. I'm not talking about, you know, getting a better job or uh, anything of a material nature. 
but rather to be the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. That when he said, follow me, he didn't just mean a one-time commitment, and now that I know the Lord, and now that I have been baptized, it's all over, and let's just wait for heaven to come. Uh-uh. No. Let's take up our cross. Let us deny ourselves. And let's truly become the kinds of people that Jesus wants us to become. I'd like to finish with just a few um, verses from Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Starting at verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke one another unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as ye see the day approaching. Can we exhort one another? Can you provoke your brother and sister to love to act in ways that are more... Provoke. What does it mean to provoke? We generally think of provoke as... You generally provoke a conflict. Or you generally... You're prodding somebody into something. And the, we're being told here in this passage that we should have that kind of an attitude to encourage one another to the point where we're goaded into doing something for our Lord as the result of... His love for us, exhorting one another, considering one another to provoke unto love and good works. And let us weigh what we do. Is it loving? Is it a good work? Is it something that will uplift and benefit the kingdom of God? Will it encourage a young Christian in his or her walk or life, of life? Will it encourage an old Christian who's walked many years down a weary road. I mean, that cross gets heavy sometimes. Let us encourage one another and let us commit to following as Jesus asked his disciples to follow him.